Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We got a very special guest on the line for us today. This is Mark Warner along with Chris Litza, as always, your host. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. George, welcome to the show, and thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. We know you're busy on the My pleasure. Yep, happy to be so it's been nearly a week. The dust has settled a little bit. Share with us your first impressions of Las Vegas, the market, and how things are going so far. Love it. Love it. This is fun. This is exciting. Uh, there's lots going on. There's a nice buzz in town about this hockey team, and we're feeling it here, and we're um, we're enjoying this. It's busy. Uh, we're trying to put a hockey team together and the staff together, and uh, um it started last week. So so along those lines, is there any news yet on anybody joining the scouting staff yet, or are we still early in the process of interviews and phone calls? Yeah, I, I think we'll know more next week. I, I've talked to a lot of people this week, um, and I would expect that uh, maybe some things will come together next week. Um, I, I like to ruminate through things and make sure I'm getting the right person and so we've had a lot of conversations for basically the first cut of what we want to do. And uh, next week, I, ha- I think I have to start uh, uh, signing a few of them up. you got to pull the trigger on a few of them. Yep. I heard on one of the other shows that you're actually targeting the check under-18 tournament is where you really want to have its, uh, amateur staff in place and boots on the ground over there. Is that... Uh, is that indicative that in the last five to ten years, at least from what I see, the uh, the Europeans and the Russians are becoming more, let's say, an NHL-style player in the leagues over there in Europe? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, in Finland, they've changed the size of some of the rinks to make them a little smaller than the Olympic size and a little bit closer to NHL-size rinks. Um, but... This tournament does have the U.S. national team in it, does have the Canadian national team in it, Sweden, Finland, Slovakia, Russia. Um, uh, there, there are eight teams in this tournament, and uh, it's basically the top 160 players um, at this age group uh, in the world. And so these are the kids that are going to be drafted next uh, June in the entry draft. So... It's, this is sort of the start of the scouting season for this age group. So along those lines, and I know everybody wants to focus on the expansion draft, I wanted to get into the amateur draft philosophy a little bit. Is it is it fair to say that the expansion draft kind of sets the table a little bit and the amateur draft is where you're going to get the meat and potatoes that are going to grow this franchise in the, in the two, three, five years down the road? Yeah, I think the expansion draft is going to give us a foundation um, for the organization. Um, But your elite players, uh, I believe, and the the difference makers will come in the entry draft. That's that's usually where they come from, and that's the lifeblood of any organization. And if you want to win a cup, you have to be drafting well. So I don't know that we'll get elite players in the expansion draft. Hopefully we get lucky and we get a couple of guys that, that turn out to be uh, very good players. Um, 
but uh, it's 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 always been about the draft and always will be about the draft. For sure, for sure. Now, if if I'm reading the rules right, and some of them get a little complicated, the the Las Vegas franchise has the the equivalent of the third ping pong ball, but that still gives the the team a chance at least in drawing into the number one overall pick. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, we could go as high as one and as low as six. So there's got to be – it's a good place to be. And then you, you yeah. maintain that position all the way through the rest of the draft. That's also correct, right? The third position, yeah. I, I think that's that's fair. I, I don't think it would be fair for an NHL team that's been in the league for 30 or 40 or 50 years to finish last. And um, But the expansion team that's coming in for the first year has the first overall pick automatically. Uh, if we win the lottery, good for us. Um, so, so I'm sure there's a lot of negotiating on that point uh, during the expansion process, and and I think this is a fair compromise that the team coming in has a, you know, you're going to get the hopefully the the first overall pick, but you, you're not going to be any worse than six, and so you you should get a good player. That's that's kind of a great foundation you're listening to vegas hockey podcast with mark and chris we've got george mcphee on the line let me bring in chris i know he has a couple questions he wants to get at you chris go ahead hey george uh so what do you see as the biggest challenge between now and the expansion draft regarding uh the hockey team well the, the biggest challenge right now is getting people in place uh as i mentioned i've talked to a lot of people um they're there are people out there that I'm very interested in, but the process, uh, you know, I, I'd like it all done now. Um, I know what I want. I know what I like to do, um, but but it takes time to go through this process, and I, I don't have a lot of patience, but uh, you have to be sometimes, and you certainly have to be comprehensive and exhaustive when you're going through the process to make sure you're getting the right people. So that's the, the big issue for me. Um, I would like to have 15 people signed up right now, but it's it's going to take some time. Um, and then going forward is, you know, throughout the year is going to be about making sure we're we're organized that um, uh, that we're they're scouting. Uh, we have the right coverage, and that we're we're really getting a good read on all the NHL teams. It's it's different than. Normal NHL scouting when you're going to the game and you're watching a game and you're trying to to get a read on three or four guys that you don't know well. Um, this is different in that you know, we have to know the whole team so that um, we can figure out what players might be exposed and which ones we'd want. Yeah, it, it, on that point, uh, I was uh, talking to someone within the last day or two, and we were saying how I mean, the amount of scouts that you that you will need just on from the expansion draft perspective, and obviously you'll probably you know you'll want uh, two or three different perspectives for each team for all thirty teams. I mean, it, it seems to me like a very mon- monumental effort. That's not an easy task. Yeah, you can usually get away with three pro scouts um, to cover the NHL. Uh, one covering the east, one covering the middle part of the country, and one covering the coast. And, and uh, um, we might be able to do that again uh, for this, but what would be different is I can get out and do it as well. And 
the assistant general manager can get out and do it as well. So we'll have five people watching the NHL um, throughout this process instead of three. And if we feel like we need more, we'll get more. Uh, you know, George, I'd, uh, I'd be a mess if I asked you this. I read about the New York Islanders. And, um, do, do you think the Islanders are in position to be a contender next season? And how excited should the fan base be with the next wave of kids, kids coming, such as a Barzell, the Del Cole, and the Sorkin? And who was the third one? I didn't hear you. Uh, uh, Ilya Sorkin, the goalie out in the Oh, game. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I think the Islanders are in very good shape. I thought Garth was really smart last year in, in not uh, overpaying or blowing his brains out at the deadline to get anyone. Um, and if he's smart and patient, this team is going to be a really good team. Um, I like the way uh, Grice played this year when he, uh, when he had to fill in. Hopefully they're healthy back there uh, this year. Um, Islanders have a very good defense, um, have some quality forwards, but these kids coming up are, are good players. Uh, Sorkin, the goaltender, is going to be a good one. Barzell is a heck of a player. Um, I really like the, the selection for Bellows. I was really pushing for that uh, and hoping that he would fall to that spot. Um, and uh, a couple of the other kids are real good players too. So the Islanders are in good shape. And I think some of these kids are, uh, some of the young ones like Barzell, are gonna, they're going to be pushing for spots at training camp. Um, and those are going to be tough decisions for Garth, but those are the decisions you want. Yeah, I was um, I was very happy that Bellows fell to the Islanders. It was on the board at 19. I, I'm, I'm, I was curious if you guys were surprised, but uh, make only sentimental, but I was hoping that the kid from uh, Long Beach, Long Island, Charlie McAvoy, went to the Bruins with a, uh, Somehow sneak to you guys, uh, but uh, Bell's a great pickup. Yeah, and we, and we like McAvoy as well. Um, but the team needs um, you know, a couple more kids uh, on offense and, and kids that can step in soon. Because as I said, the, the defense is in really good shape, and we'll be in good shape for yep. a long. Uh, some of the young guys they have coming back there. I really like uh, Pulak. I really like Pelic, and you put them with the veteran guys. It's it's a good. It's a good deed. You're going to be in every game because the deed's good. Um, and with uh, a guy like uh, Bellows or Barzell, they're not going to be far away. They might be one year of development and ready to go. Whereas, you know, defensemen like a Charlie McAvoy, defensemen take a little while, and that could be a, yeah. a two-year process. And they're already, they said they're already good on defense. So I, I like that. Uh, well, so, yeah. well, my, my last point is, George, they, they can only at most protect four defensemen for the draft, so that's that's kind of good for you because you have, you have a good inside look on uh, their their defense. Yeah, Garth has already asked me to go easy on them for, <laughs> for that them for the last two years. And uh, I just said, this, this is business now. And maybe there's a second round pick coming back the other way to lighten that load for him, huh? Yeah, or a couple of firsts. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Well, this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with George McPhee, featured on thehockeywriters.com. And one of the things that uh, that I haven't seen much talk about is that you're actually, and I'm not sure exactly how much involved you're going to be with this process, but you actually are going to be building two franchises here uh, in the next 
11 months, really, because you're going to have to get your AHL team staff stocked and ready to go. Is there any is there any news or thoughts on where that AHL team might be located and the development and how, how far down the road we are in that process? Yeah, I, I'm not real focused on that at the moment. Um, I'd really um, like to get a staff in place and then... And then we can focus on that uh, a little bit. So um, there are some possibilities, um, things that I've considered, but I'm, I'm not in any place right now to discuss that because, you know, we just haven't done enough and don't need to right now. Right, right. Got to get got to get the boots on the ground and, and get your preparation in place for the draft for sure. Now, now a few of the questions at the press conference and some of the other shows I've listened to have repeatedly returned to the theme of the challenge, quote unquote, of the Las Vegas market. And it really doesn't seem like that's too high on your list of things that you're going to worry about. It seems like that that uh, that you, you believe that the product on the ice and the game is going to sell itself and we're not going to have any issues. And I love the fact that that's your philosophy coming into town. Um, w- would it be fair to say that if the tables had been flipped and you found yourself in Quebec City as their first general manager, would you go about the process in the same way in that kind of a market as opposed to Las Vegas? Same philosophy? Yeah, I, I I don't have any worries about this market whatsoever. I you know I've been out looking for a home the last few nights. I, you know, whether it's the realtor I'm talking to or other people, they're really proud that Las Vegas has a pro team. This team is going to be really well supported, um, and it's going to be a good team. We've got everything I've mentioned to a lot of people with where the rink is, where the airport is, where the practice facility is, the suburb that it's going to be in. Um, the great weather here, uh, people are going to want to play here, and that helps me in building a team. And if we build the right team, th- this market will support it. Uh, we've got 15,000 season tickets. People um, are going to love this game and love these players. And I've watched the, the game do really well in, in other non-traditional markets, and I, I just – I guess my instincts are telling me from from having the experience of being around the NHL and a lot of different markets that I I think there is huge upside in this market and I I think this is is going to be a heck of a franchise and and one that sells out uh, all its games because um, the, the the market's big enough um, it's never had a a major league pro team. Um, it's in, in this market, uh, for me, is um, it, it's almost uh, counterintuitive. I, I'm, I'm, everybody knows about Las Vegas. It's a great brand. Um, everybody knows about the Strip. There are 40 million people a year coming here. But what they don't know about is it's almost the best test secret in the world is the rest of Las Vegas. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place and great areas to live in. So... I think this market uh, has tremendous upside and, and is now, I don't know, some people say it's we're a legitimate city now because we have a pro team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as looking for a house, there's plenty of uh, 
I don't know if you if you hit the golf course at all, but uh, there's plenty of first class golf courses out there. If if uh, the players coming in or any, I know the players like to get out and hit the golf ball in their downtime a little bit. So uh, there's always always good golf on that side of town for sure. Yeah, I love I love the game of golf. Okay, uh, there's some great courses around here, but I joined a really nice course in Washington. Uh, Oh, six or seven years ago, and I've played five times. I just, I don't have the time. I just never seem to have it. Never seem to have the time. But, I, you know, that, it, it was a shame, but that's life. Okay, I wanted to ask uh, a, a couple questions about uh, maybe some of the early mentors that you had. When you, when you first came into the league as a player with the Rangers there, you were, uh, Herb Brooks was your coach. And then early on in your in your front office experience, you got to work under Hall of Famer Pat Quinn. Now, there's not too many times that any walk of life that a guy gets to go into a situation and kind of learn on the fly under two Hall of Fame caliber people. And I was wondering what you may have learned from each of those individuals and was able to take forward in, into your hockey career. Um, interesting, very good question. Uh, with Herb Brooks, I, I really liked playing for Herb Brooks. He was very, very smart. He was way ahead of his time. Um, he was talking about the speed game and puck possession game um, long before uh, analytics came into vogue. Uh, he, he was um, he believed in a high level of fitness. He believed in having the puck all the time. He didn't believe in dumping the puck in or chipping it and chasing it. He believed in hanging on to the puck, which was really neat. Uh, it was an, a neat experience playing for him. And what I guess the, the thing I learned, from, you know, I liked him on the bench because he was great during the game. He had great instincts. He didn't get lost on the bench. He knew what he was doing. Uh, and he was really uh, motivating uh, in the middle of the game. He had a great voice behind the bench. He said the right things. Um, I think what I learned about him is, you know, what levels you can reach in fitness. I, I never, ever thought that I could get to the level of fitness that he pushed us to and the way we practiced and the way we trained off the ice. Um, it was amazing uh, to get to that level. Uh, with Pat Quinn, you know, it might be the finest man I've ever met in my life, the way he treated people, the way he listened to people. Also a very, very bright guy, had a great presence, um, was a was a really beautiful had a great hockey mind like Herb Brooks did, um, but for me, it, you know, intersecting and connecting with these guys uh, in my life was um, I was very very fortunate. Um, and for me, with Pat Quinn, it was about uh, he, it was about how to treat people, and uh, people loved Pat Quinn for. Uh, the way he carried himself and the way he treated others. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's see, I'm I'm right at that age group. The 1980 uh, Herb Brooks team was the reason that I'm a hockey fan today. Sounds like a lot of the uh, portrayal in the Miracle on Ice about getting you into that fitness shape was actually actually what you guys had to go through in your practices. He carried that over to the pro game like that. Yeah, he did. Yep. That's yep. that's fantastic. And it, and it, yeah, it wasn't easy. Not not easy, but worth it. Yeah, it was. 
Yeah, and now now all teams are at that level of the NHL level, but back then uh, nobody trained like we did under him. Well, thanks for sharing that with us about Pat and Herb there. We appreciate that. Chris, we're going to be running out of time here real quick. Do you have anything left for George before we let him go? No, it was it was a pleasure. It was a sp- pleasure speaking with you, George, and I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, I know uh, out here in Long Island, we really appreciate you being being with the team the last uh, last couple of years. So, uh, uh, hopefully, Keeper Bellows will wind up being uh, an All Star player, and yeah, you, you 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 do take it easy on us at the expansion draft. <laughs> okay, take care, Chris. Thank you, Mark. Uh, we appreciate it, sir. Okay, take care. Be well. Talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, George McPhee, the first general manager in, in Las, Las Vegas franchise history, uh, joins, joins the Vegas Hockey Podcast on the Hockey Writers. Uh, Chris, what's, uh, what do you think of that one, huh? Yeah, no, I thought he was very forthcoming. Um, um, it was very interesting, it sounds like, over the next week or so. He's going to uh, ha- you know, have a lot of decisions or a number of decisions made with his scouting staff. And... Um, um, you know, and and it was interesting to me. Uh, I mean, it makes sense, but how much emphasis when he made the statement? It's always about the draft, meaning the amateur draft. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was actually uh, speaking with a good friend of the show, Matt Pryor, earlier today, and we were talking about the expansion draft. They're going to take thirty players, but um, as you know, you, the NHL roster is twenty-three. So we were thinking that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he took three or four players and flipping them and trading them for, you know, let's say second, third, or fourth round draft picks. And after speaking with him, uh, I would definitely think he would be on board with that. So right now, the you know, he has seven draft picks uh, for next draft. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he has a goal of having, let's say, 12 draft picks at, at, the, uh, at next year's draft with a lot of picks in rounds two, three, and four. I, I totally believe that's within the realm of possibility. I heard somewhere, and it might have been on the show George did with the Simbin guys, um, and maybe a couple other places as well, that the average number of players in the past that have been taken that actually skated in a game for their expansion team is somewhere between like 9 and 11. And maybe that had to do with the the rules and restrictions of the type and quality of players that were available. So that number might be expected to be a little bit higher as we go down the road. But uh, I also think that, that they'll be, you know, as he was saying with Garth, kind of half-jokingly, Garth called him up already and said, hey, take it easy on us there in the expansion draft. And George said, hey, it's business. It's business. Uh, give me a first-round pick, and I can go easy on you. And I, I I, could I could 100% believe that, that's, that there's going to be 30 of those conversations uh, and maybe maybe twice that many by the time he turns in his list and, and he'll have a real clear idea on where he wants to go. Yeah, I'm looking at different potential, and I still think it's too early, but uh, to me, uh, one would have to wait to opening night because I still think there will be a bunch of moves made which can really change the dynamics of a team's expansion protection list. So, uh, But having said that, uh, just to get a little bit of a feel, uh, you know, I think that uh, he'll be able to, McPhee will be able to take a number of, you know, solid, good, solid to good 
players through the process. Uh, I, I don't think there'll be any all-star players there, but you know, also remember they'll have free agency as well uh, to dip it to, to dip in. So maybe they'll be able to get a couple of you know big names such as the TJ Oshie or maybe even the Ben Bishop kind of thing, you know, depending upon what their uh, plan is going to be from the get-go. No bad contracts. I think that's his mantra. He's going to hang it on a on an eight by ten on on his wall. You know, no bad contracts. I think, I think he's, I think he's optimistic about yeah, I, being competitive. But like he said, he's not a patient guy. But he's going to force himself to be. Um, I, you know, no 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 expansion teams ever made the playoffs in year one. I think that's a little bit uh, over ambitious. I'll be I'll be more than pleased, especially. In the division we're in with with McDavid and and if the Oilers can take advantage of that and move themselves up, um, Kings, Ducks, Sharks, Calgary is still young and they had a down year, but I think I think their happy medium is somewhere between their playoff team two years ago and the the season that they had last year. Bringing in bringing in Brian Elliott, I think, is certainly going to help Calgary a lot. Um, if they're competing for a playoff spot in year three and they've got a cupboard stocked with with young draft, you know, young drafted homegrown kids and not relying on the expansion draft so much, I'll be more than happy with the way they're going. That's got. I mean, you got to be realistic. Yeah. yeah, I think they're also going into the the right division. I mean, I I think by far the best division in hockey is the Central, and then I was. Say a close second is the Metro, uh, and then you have the Atlantic and the Pacific, which uh, you know I, I think we're battling it out. Which one is you know the weaker of the two? You can make an argument for either one, but you know as you know the Sharks are an older team. Uh, both Thornton and Marlowe will you know be I believe thirty seven, thirty eight after next season. Both will be free agents, by the way. Um, although I, I would imagine as long as Thornton is healthy, he'll go back there. Marlowe, I don't know about. Um, you know, the Ducks uh, themselves are a good team, as is the Kings, but you know, the other teams are, you know, regrouping, rebuilding, and still have a considerable amount of work to do. So, uh, obviously, there'll be an expansion team, so it's, it's, we're not going to say they're going to be in contention for the division, but um, I think they, you know, it's a lot easier starting off in the Pacific at this point in time than, let's say, the Central. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. They put five teams in the playoffs last year in out of the West. Yeah. Um, and two of the three Pacific Division teams were bounced in the first round, so it's hard to make a case against what it is you're saying. But as far as regular season uh, success go, I, those teams are going to be holding down the playoff spots in the Pacific. There's only going to be three available. Um and they're going. They they may be getting older. I, their windows um, may be closing a little bit, but I don't see them falling down far enough to relinquish a hold on one of those three playoff spots. Um, you know, in the next two or three years. Uh, well, maybe by year two of the franchise for Vegas. Maybe I could see the Sharks uh, being a little bit vulnerable, uh, depending upon how things work out. And hey, they still have to sign Brent Burns, who. Uh, he's on the last year of his deal, and he's a free agent. So who knows? Maybe it's you know if 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 he is allowed to get to July first, 
uh, or even into June, um, I you know I wouldn't be surprised if a team like Vegas is involved. But I think you brought up a good point before about no bad contracts. Uh, it's one thing if if there's a veteran out there who has a little bit too high of a salary cap number, but can really help the team both on the ice and in the locker room, and is signed for two more years. Yeah, I two, get it. And two. plenty of cap. Right, you're not going right. to bring in uh, Luongo's nine million dollar cap hit that runs through 2021 when he's 40 years old. Exactly, can't do that. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. So, I, I guys who are beyond three years, let's call it three years and beyond, who are signed, uh, and it's kind of a shaky situation in terms of the cap uh, long term. I, I would, I would imagine they would steer clear of that. Yeah, I think, I think he's he actually. At the press conference, he had a quote that I really liked. You can you can recover from letting a player go, but you can't recover from a bad contract. They were talking about, uh, you know, b- w- the philosophy involved with well, you got a good player and and you got to re-sign him, and he he goes, well, you can recover from letting a player go, but you can't recover from a bad contract because once you sign that bad contract, obviously you're locked in. Five, seven years. I did want to ask him, um, as far as capology goes, what his philosophy is. If, because I mean, you look at teams like Pittsburgh, I mean, they locked up Crosby and Malkin to high dollar long term deals and were still able to bring in a castle and absorb that contract and put the pieces around him and win a Stanley Cup. You look at Chicago, who's who's just notorious at finding a way through the cap, and they have their two players signed uh, long-term, high-dollar contracts. But then you look at situations like Vancouver, where they had the Longo deal, and they had a good up-and-coming young goalie in Schneider, and somehow they let it get away from him to where neither goalie is still in place, and they didn't get enough of a return on any of that to maintain their level of competitiveness and the the just the dichotomy between the the teams that have won four of the last six Stanley Cups being able to manage that and the team like the Canucks that had world class goaltenders and somehow managed to let them both get away. That I wanted to get his take on whether he is totally averse to I mean, obviously he's kept Ovechkin locked up, but he Mike Green's play fell off. He did let Mike Green go, but then you have the Brooks Brooks Lake deal in Washington that some people aren't too fond of. So um, that would just would have been a little interesting. We we didn't really have that much time to just go shooting the shooting the bull there on general hockey philosophy, but interesting. Yeah, this is this is definitely a subject me and you could do a whole show on. But to me, yeah. I guess. To, to make one point about it, I, I I think that at the end of the day, if you're going to sign someone to very big dollars on a long-term basis, you have to easily say that they are a difference maker and this is uh, a player we're going to build the team around. Uh, if you look at a team like at the New York Rangers, and not to pick on them because I'm an Islander guy, but if you look at the New York Rangers, they have given such a contract uh, via the trade for Rick Nash and he hasn't been a difference maker for them. And it's him, along with many other contracts, that really hamstrung them 
in terms of getting better and uh, and things of that nature. And, and to the point of, you know, last year you saw um, them trade away Carl Hagelin for, uh, you know, a young support player in Emerson Edom, who they eventually moved on in draft pick. So that's the thing. You want to be able to be nimble and flexible when it comes to your cap. Obviously, if you have a special player, such as a Jamie Penn, such as a Jonathan Tays, Patrick Kane, or John Tavares, you want to make sure you keep them and they're part of your foundation. So, uh, But at the same token, you always have to be looking at the cap and making sure you have cap flexibility uh, to make trades, to make moves, and things of that nature. So uh, I think it's a multifaceted uh, amount of tools that you have to have to have a very good cap situation. Well, let me let me ask you this: Would I be wrong in saying that my opinion is that Tampa Bay Lightning have won the off season um, with getting Stamkos at the at the deal they got, and you know the no state tax thing played into that, so that's going to play into Las Vegas sure. too. Um, but then coming right back on the heels of that and getting Kalorn and Hedman locked up, um, de- defining the core of that team and, and locking up Vasilevsky and you know, having a clear direction of where they're going to go in net. I think they've done a phenomenal job in Tampa, and I think they poised themselves to be contenders, if not favorites, in the Eastern Conference next year and for the few years afterwards. And and everybody was worried about, oh, if you sign Stamkos, you're not going to get Kucherov, you're not going to get Johnson, Kalorn, you're going to have to let maybe Hedman go. And so far, he's been able to hold on to all those guys. So I, th- I, think, I, think, well, I, I don't think I'm wrong saying Tampa Bay Lightning won the offseason. Well, they have had a real strong offseason. Obviously, getting Stamkos at at bare minimum, probably a million and a half to close to two million under market value, definitely helped help things to say the least. Uh, having said that, um, there will be a significant change in this team. I mean, the math just not doesn't add up. They have eight and a half million dollars to sign Kucherov, uh, Niemskov, and uh, uh, who is this, the uh, Nesterov, and this. That's not the math. Just doesn't add up. So, if it's they're going to have to trade either, let's say a bishop or Kucherov, or maybe somebody else. Maybe it will be. Uh, um, it doesn't have a huge cap number in Tyler Johnson at least for this year, and then next year they have another wave of players coming. And keep in mind, Hedman's number this year is four million, and next year it almost doubles. It goes up to, I believe, seven point eight million. So. When you factor that in, uh, there will have to be more changes on the way for Tampa. So I agree with your premise in terms of so far, Eisman has done an excellent job. Obviously, having no state, being in a state with no state income tax helped their situation with Stamkos, who really wanted to stay, and that, and they got you know the benefit of that. But there will, they are not going to be able to escape the fact uh, due to the way player salaries are rising and how the salary cap ceiling is crawling, that they're going to lose, at bare minimum, two players. I mean, that's just a fact. Sure, and they've already... And, 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 it's, no, and it's, nobody's, it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault. At the end of the day, just like what's happened with Chicago, is this has happened because they have too many good players. Right, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's not like they've mismanaged their cap or they gave some guy a three million. Uh, they gave some guy a five million dollar number when he's really a three million dollar player, and they've done that time and again. No, that's not the case at all. They, they've done an excellent job uh, with their cap, with their players, signing them, 
but they just have too many, too many of them. And you know, in a cap sport, you know, just like we see with other cap uh, sports, uh, you're not going to be able to keep them all. And that's the time of even even with Stamkos taking a little bit less, even with Hedman uh, theoretically taking a little bit less. Uh, that that's just the that's just the reality that they're in. Uh, but they will. I mean, I, they will have to make one signature trade uh, for opening night. I mean, if you if I was a betting man. I would say it would be Ben Bishop. Yeah, they've already made Although overtures. Although that has its hurdles, too. They've already made overtures that, that uh, I mean, the writing's on the wall with with Bishop being out. You don't you don't have an expansion draft coming and a Vezina, Vezina Trophy finalist and leave him unsigned when you re-sign the backup. So that, that writing's on the wall, and that'll help a little bit. But I think you're right. Well, unless someone's, you know, RFAs, they kind of... If they get to RFA, then they're going to. I know the offer sheet is kind of dead, dead in the water, but um, someone might offer. Well, keep in mind, keep in mind, Vasilevsky's extension that he signed doesn't kick in until after next season. So if they decide that, hey, look, our best chance to win the Stanley Cup next year is with Ben Bishop as our number one goalie, and decide to move one of their other guys, let's say like a Kucherov or let's say, a, a package of uh, really good, uh, talented players who are at, ent- you know, at entry-level deals if they can find the right mix, um, I, wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised with that and then just have Bishop leave uh, at the end of the year. You know, one thing to keep in mind at this point in terms of trading Ben Bishop that's a little complicated is when trading a goalie, obviously there's only one person who plays in net. I mean, the team only has two goalies. Right, so right. if you if you look around the league if you look around the league right now, to me there's really only two really good fits for Ben Bishop trade, and that is the Dallas Stars. But you would have to take back one of their veteran goalies, and Dallas would have to be willing to pay part of their salaries. Probably Anthony Niemi, who has a four and a half million dollar cap hit. Uh, so you're talking about at least a fifty percent pay pay uh, being paid by Dallas. And then the assets in between, or the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, who have a little bit less cap space in Dallas. I think they have around six million, and Bishop has a five point nine million dollar cap hit. Now you can get Michael Norworth back from them, um, and, and then additional assets. And I think Philly might be able to just squeak it under the wire if those two teams were so inclined. If those two teams, for whatever reason, said, "You know what? We really like Ben Bishop, but it's one more year to go." And we don't want to give them that kind of extension and give up the assets on top of that. Uh, you know, they really, there's really, I, yeah, I, you know, it's not easy coming up with another team, believe it or not. Um, Vancouver. To trade Bishop to. I mean, well, they just signed Markstrom to an extension, to a three-year extension. Right. Uh, so, so, I mean, Calgary was interested, and there was a report that he they talked to, Bishop, uh, Tampa gave them permission to talk to Bishop uh, in terms of the contract extension. Bishop, there was a report that he wanted seven years at seven million per. Calgary then decided to trade for Brian Elliott. Um, yeah, so I'm just saying, when it comes to a goalie, sometimes it's, it, it can be a little difficult finding the right trade with a team. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that's not going to make trade talks easy with Dallas. So let's say there's two teams really interested, Dallas and Philly. You know, that's not a lot of teams, so that, that could also hinder them in terms of what they get back, and those teams know that they're in the cap crunch. So 
Um, and maybe in the case of Dow, in the case of Dallas, uh, they would say to them, "Hey, you have to take at least Miami back." And and uh, they might say, "We don't want Miami." You know, I mean, I, I don't care if you pay half the salary at two point two million. I don't, you know. Uh, so so there's a lot of hurdles involved in terms of a bishop trade. Uh, it's 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 not a you know I'm not saying it won't happen, but it, it there's a lot of <laughs> there's a, like I said there's a lot of complications to it uh, involved. So and keep in mind um, you know Tampa needs back talented cheap cap assets and cheap cap assets so that can help them a combination of either now starting next October or you know, sometime next season, worst case scenario, the following season, uh, or a combination of, their, of both. And that's not easy to do either. So um, those are those are a couple of complicated, you know, those, uh, that that trade could be uh, not an easy one to pull. Well, that's kind of kind of what George was saying there about uh, don't, don't sign the bad contract. You can let a player walk and get over it. Um, I kind of like your scenario where he just ends up a free agent next year and Tampa Bay raises the Stanley Cup. I could see that happening. Right, but in that case, they would probably still have to move, you know, one of those players to fit everybody in. And maybe they do. Maybe maybe they wind up moving, you know, maybe they wind up moving the Amscoff or, you know, a couple of those kind of players uh, and, and then, you know, let, you know, have Bishop in and Vasilevsky and give Vasilevsky one more year of tutorship with Bishop and then have him walk out the door as a free agent. Um, because, you know, the reality is with him being one year away from unrestricted free agency, you know, we think of Ben Bishop, and rightfully so, as one of the best goalies in the league the last three years. And in your mind, you're like, okay, well, in a trade, what would you get in return for a player like that? But you have to keep in mind from the team acquiring him, they only have, you know, he's only signed for one more year. So that is going to significantly hurt his trade value in terms of what you, you're not going to get back what you normally would, would think you would get back for a guy like, for a goalie of that level. So, right. um, you know, so that, you know, again, I guess my theme to all that is it, it really leads to, uh, you know, not an easy trade to pull off. Like I said, I, I expected to pull off them to pull it off get enough cap space uh, for this year, and then this time next year we'll be talking about them having to make at least another significant trade with guys like uh, Tyler Johnson and uh, Powell and and uh, Jonathan Druin. They're all restricted free agents, and they're all going to get significant raises. Suster's another one. And um, and like I said, uh, you know, you know uh, Victor Hemmings' salary doubles next year, after next year. So, you know, if anything, as challenging as dealing with the cap is now, it's going to be twice as hard a year from now. All right, well, we're turning this into Tampa Bay Lightning Radio, bro. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we kind of went all the way down that road and uh, didn't even stop at the stop sign. We just kept right on going. So uh, let's let's wrap this up. Unless you got anything else, i got to do some production work and get this out. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, our first two, our first two shows on the Hockey Writers Net, uh, Network, and we had Clint Malarchuk. For those who missed that show, definitely go back and check it out. And as well as the show with George McPhee, two great shows. Yeah, we set the bar a little bit high. I don't know how we're gonna. How we're gonna <laughs> we got out of the gate fast, but let's, you know what I mean. You hit the quarter pole and start to I, fade. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel bad for our, our next guest if it's like a writer or something like that, and, and we'll say to him, hey, you're our third show. The first show we had was Clinton Launchup. second show was George McPhee. Now we have you. Yeah, if you're batting third in that lineup, you better bring it. <laughs> well, okay, buddy. I'll let you Agreed. get back. I'll let you get back to your evening out there in Long Island, sir. Your your uh, heat wave means nothing to me. <laughs> we're in, we're in 110, so uh, I'm gonna go sit by the pool and maybe have a cold one. That was a great conversation with George. I might just treat myself. Sounds good. Uh, look forward to the next show. All right, and so for the hockeywriters.com, this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're gone.